that's, that's, that's an interesting one. What? It is fitting. It is fitting for him, that family. Anyone else? You'll be having Italian? That's pretty sweet. I like that. I'm still like, you know, just, you know, the, the steak is just like salivating in my mouth and everything like that. So anyway, all right. First question, and then I'll dismiss the kids here in just a second. So I really want to get their uh, response on this one. First of all, are there a lot of fake people in the world? No. no. <laughs> all right. Well, some are like, no, there's not fake people in the world. Yes, there are. Now, here's the question I want to ask, especially with the kids, and then we'll ask the adults here in a minute. Why do people often pretend to be something they're not? Why do people often pretend to be something they're not? All right, Julie. Because the person that they're trying to be, they think is better. The person they're trying to be, they think is better? We'll go down the line. Mia. Um, they want to be like someone else. They want to be like you. I want to be like you. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know that song? It's on um, Jungle Book, yeah. You know it's true. Someone like me. Yes. Because they don't like what? They don't like who they are. Yes, a uh, little red. Um, I'm trying to figure out what your sweater is, but yeah, go ahead. I think because uh, the people that are trying to be is more uh, better than themselves. The people they're trying to be is more better than themselves. All right, Nate, this is be interesting. Because they want to prank people. Because they want to prank people. That's why they pretend to be something they're not. Jocelyn? Could be, because they're not a good person, so they want people to think they're a better person than what they are. All right, last two, and then, or three more, and then we'll dismiss the kids. Yes? Um, because they want to be funny. They want to be funny? You look like a highlighter today. I like it. It's awesome. <laughs> yes? So no one calls you that? Well, now I did. <laughs> what? They can fit in? <laughs> Kate? That's true, because don't, people don't think they're cool. They act like a different person. Very good. All right. I just want to hear what the kids' responses were. So kids, why don't you stand up? And Miss Susan, I believe, has you in the back today. So follow the little Pied Piper all the way to the back. All right. Adults, it's going to be your turn. Let's leave that question up there, guys. Leave that question up there. So adults, it's your turn. We're going to get to the message here in just a minute, Acts chapter 8. So from your perspective, why do people pretend to be something they're not? I'm not, not asking for a name of who you know is fake. But I'm asking for why people pretend to be something they're not. Yes, Crystal. So you'll fit in. Natasha. No judgment. Marcus. They want to be accepted by everyone else. Billy. They don't like who they are. They don't like who they are. All right. Very good. What else? Anybody else? Amanda. That's good. People can't know that you don't have it all together. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people pretend to be something they're not. But I think the truth is there are a lot of fraudulent people in the world. Are there not? There are a lot of fakes. There are a lot of phonies. And the reason I'm asking that is because we're going to meet someone this morning in our passage in Acts chapter 8 who really was a fraudulent individual. He was a phony. He was um, really misguided in a lot of things. So Acts chapter 8, let's go ahead and stand if you would. Acts chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse number 8 where we left off last week. I appreciate you being here this morning. I have a few more people than last week, so people are starting to recover. That's a good thing. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse number 8. And there was great joy in that city. Now, first of all, why was there great joy? Go back, guys. Verse number 8. Why was there great joy in the city of Samaria? Anybody? Obviously, you didn't watch online, those that weren't here last week. 
All right, uh, let's go back to Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. We're going to re-preach that message. No, we're not. Mike, you were here. Why was there great joy in Samaria? Because of the gospel. gospel. Specifically, more specifically. Because they were preaching the gospel and people were being saved. Yes, there we go. People were being saved. See, even he forgot. All right. People were being saved. Remember, why did they have to leave Jerusalem? Yes, persecution. Michael, you said it. Very good. All right, persecution. They had to leave Jerusalem because of persecution. And in Samaria, they went to the place they didn't want to go to reach people they didn't want to reach. And as they're there, great joy is happening. Why? Because the gospel is coming to them. And that's the thing. The gospel brings us great joy. And really, before we go on, here's, here's the thing that we see. Samaria has been joyfully disrupted, joyfully disrupted by the gospel. And when the gospel is above all in areas of our life, then as we reach out to people, then they will be joyfully disrupted as well. Verse number nine, but there was a certain man called Simon. This is not Simon Peter. This is Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Now, how many have ever made yourself out to be something you're not? Anybody in here? All right, I think many of us have done that. We made ourselves to be something we're not. So we need to understand that Simon is making himself to be something he's really not. He is the one promoting his greatness or his self-proclaimed greatness. I was about to ask, give me an individual, but I don't want to do that today because, you know, we're online and they might hear what, what you say. But anyway, um, verse number 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. So again, he is the one proclaiming himself to be something great. And because of that, they are saying that his power is obviously of God. And to him, they had regard because that long time he had bewitched them and uh, with sorcery. So he had basically tricked them and deceived them. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. We're going to stop right there this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning as we look through this passage of Scripture and continue on in these verses this, this morning. God, I pray that you'd help us to learn the very important truths that we need to learn. And even as we'll dive a little bit deeper in our EQ time a little bit later on, Lord, I, I thank you so much for the, the opportunity we had to celebrate with friends and family. Lord, I thank you for many of our church family that is getting better and, and over uh, the virus that, that has contracted, Lord. And I pray that you would help uh, us as individuals to just sit here for the next few minutes and listen, soak in this message and learn what we need to learn and apply what we need to apply to our lives. Lord, we love you so much. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Again, back in verse number eight, the Bible says that there was great joy in that city because the gospel came forth. Now, again, there was great fear in, in Jerusalem because of persecution. They left. They went to Samaria. Great joy is there. And really, when you have a truly gospel identity, as we're trying to discover on Sundays and Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoon, when you truly have a gospel identity, you have true joy that is only found in Jesus. I think of Psalm 1611 that says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. You see, the very message that caused them grief was the very message that also brought joy. 
And I think what brought joy was because the individuals that were preaching it, the individuals that were living it, were authentic. Again, we had referenced just a few minutes, minutes ago that there are a lot of fraudulent people in the world, right? There are a lot of fakes. There are a lot of phonies. There are a lot of people that portray themselves to be something that they're not. We all know people like that. And probably right now, we can think of individuals. How many can think of an individual right now in your mind that is fraudulent, that is fake? Yes. Again, don't mention them out loud because we are alive. They could be watching. Who knows? But there are a lot of fraudulent people out in the world because they are wanting people to believe them to be something else. Like the kids said that, you know, maybe they're not as cool or they don't think that they're cool. So they want others to think that they're cool or whatever it is. But what I see from a lot of these early Christians is that they weren't necessarily fraudulent. We met some fraudulent individuals with Ananias and Sapphira, but they were genuine. They were authentic. And you know, I think about Philip that went, that wasn't an apostle and one of the deacons of the church that, that went into Samaria. Again, that place he didn't want to go to reach people he didn't want to reach. And Philip is growing in his gospel identity. He's growing in the person that Jesus wants him to be. And we need to remember that as a Christian, we don't have to be who we used to be. Or we are, or here, here's, here's how I should say it. As a Christian, we are not who we used to be, right? If you're truly saved, you are not that former self, are you? You've been saved, you've been redeemed, uh, you've been adopted, all those things that Paul references in Ephesians chapter one. You are not that person anymore. You don't have to remember who you were. You just have to know who you are in Christ. And that's where I think a lot of us struggle understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. And honestly, there's a lot of people that truly never live out their gospel identity because they haven't gotten over who they were, right? Haven't gotten beyond who they used to be. That's the old man. And, and again, it's, it's very easy to, once you get saved, to bring that old man into salvation, isn't it? I mean, it's very easy to do that. I mean, I've done that. I've struggled with that in my life, and I've seen many people struggle with that. And here's the thing. I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I think a lot of people genuinely believe the gospel, get saved, get baptized. But here's the thing. They're trying to add Jesus to the life that they're already living, right? Now, that doesn't work. It's not about adding Jesus to the life you're already living. If you are a wicked individual and you're living a wicked lifestyle, just adding Jesus, yes, it's going to change, but it's not going to change everything because you're going to still live the way you want to live. And I've met a lot of, you can call them Christians, you can call them not Christians. I've met a lot of individuals who have proclaimed Christianity who are still living the way that they used to live because really you can say they're not saved and, and there's, there's marks to be made about that. But I think the reality is that they don't understand who they are now. And they continue to live as they were. And I believe even Simon, now there's a lot of confusion with this passage. I read oh, probably eight to 10 different commentaries and different theologians on this passage. And it's one of those passages in the Bible that, you know, there's a lot of speculation, you know, one way or another. You know, there are some that say Simon got saved. There are some that say Simon didn't get saved because we'll look at it later in the passage where Peter has to rebuke him. Now, first and foremost, I think we need to, there's legitimacy on both sides. I'm just kind of saying this before we get there. There's legitimacy on both sides that it's easy to say that, yes, Simon got saved because the text says it. It's easy to also say, well, Simon probably didn't get saved. Maybe he was misguided. Maybe he was, uh, you know, not genuine in his belief because I've met people that claim Christianity, that got baptized and were not really saved. They realize that later in their life. 
I think the text, you can easily interpret the text either way. And I, and I met a lot of, I read a lot of commentaries, a lot of theologians, a lot of preachers that disagreed with this passage. But I think here's the most important thing. It's very important not to try to read too much into the Bible. Let me just say that. I think we do need to take the Bible for what it says. It's very easy to read more into God's word than what is there. Make sense? It's very easy to make an application that is not there. And there are some well-known preachers, preachers that I respect that I've never met, but well-known churches that disagree on this subject. But I think we, again, have to understand what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. Now, let's go ahead and dig into the text this morning. The first thing that we see is this, the gospel versus magic. The gospel versus magic. In verses 9 through 13, there was a certain man named Simon which before time is in the same city, used sorcery and, and bewitched the people. He deceived the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Now, before Philip arrived, the region had a much different influence. A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and Simon claimed to be something he was not. You know, he was kind of like the, uh, you know, David Copperfield of that day. I think that's how we kind of describe him. And, you know, really, I was going to bring it as an illustration, but I couldn't find it this morning. All I could think of when it, you know, talks about Simon the Sorcery, all I could think about is, you know, Mickey Mouse and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Nate has one of those ha the hats, and I was going to bring it this morning and wear it for the preaching, but I couldn't find it, so uh, maybe someone stole it. I don't know. Uh, but that's all I can think of. I think of Simon with this, you know, Mickey Mouse hat, and he's got this little wand, and he's, you know, marching around, and he's, you know, I, I don't think that was him. <laughs> maybe he was more Harry Potter. I don't know. But anyway, um, he, was, <laughs> he, was, he was a fake. He was a fraudulent individual. Uh, really, he was a class A narcissist because he's all about himself and he fooled a lot of people around him. And the people around him, the Bible says in verse number 10, they called him the great power of God. Now, his magic was a mixture of a lot of things when you study it out. It was a mixture of scientific knowledge about medicine, astronomy, and math, a mixture of superstition, using amulets and charms and interpreting dreams and horoscopes, and also sleight of hand. And really, I think another way to, to describe him, have you ever watched The Wizard of Oz? That's, that's what I see as well. Simon is just the great and powerful Wizard of Oz, right? He's the man behind the curtain. You know, the great and powerful Oz, was he really that great and powerful? No, he really wasn't. Some of you guys are wanting to watch that movie right now. You can go home later and watch it, not right now. Um, but that, that's kind of what I think about, that he is just the man behind the curtain, but he is a fraud. Now listen, now this is important. Now get this down if you're taking notes this morning. Simon had a pre-constructed identity. Simon had a pre-constructed identity. And when you have a pre-constructed identity, it's easy to believe you are something great when in reality you're not. Here's what I mean. He has constructed a false dichotomy for himself so that others could see. Now again, We've asked how many have, have known fraudulent people. I think we all have. But how many have been fooled by those people? Anybody? All right, now let's just ask. Now don't reference that individual. But what about them has fooled you? What about them has fooled you? Anybody? Natasha? How sincere they were. How sincere they were or seemed to be. Okay, that's very good. What else? How, what about those people fooled you? Anybody? Seem to be very confident. Okay, that's very good. What else? Had a big heart. Had a big heart? Okay. What else? 
What else about those people, those individuals, fooled you? Personality, okay. What else? Come on. You've all met people like that. So what fooled you about those individuals? Yeah, it's very easy, to, very easy to gravitate towards those individuals. Yes, what else? What else? I mean, that's kind of what was going on here with Simon. Anybody else? What fooled you about those people? Billy? Their intentions. Their intentions, yes. Seemed to be well, but really they were more about themselves, right? And it's kind of really what Simon, it's all about his gain and what he wanted. What else? Maybe one or two more. What about those individuals fooled you? Knowledge. Knowledge, okay. Marcus? Willingness to help you? Always had the right thing to say. She took it. Oh, sorry, Venetia. All the, their words, you know, <clears throat> very good with their words. <clears throat> it's a good thing I mess up all the time. I'm not very good with my words. But anyway, there are a lot of Christians who act like Simon and have acted like Simon. They appear to be stronger than they really are because they have constructed an identity that really is not durable. The only identity that is durable is a gospel identity, which is what we're trying to understand. We're trying to figure out. But Philip is now going around and preaching a message. Now, now let's understand this. We don't necessarily or know everything that Philip was preaching, but the message that Philip was preaching, was it promoting himself or promoting someone else? The message Philip was preaching was a message promoting himself or a message promoting someone else? It was promoting Christ. It was promoting someone else. But really, the message that Simon was preaching, his sorcery, his bewitching the people, deceiving the people, was it promoting himself or someone else? himself. And that's the thing we have to understand that there are people that are all about themselves, right? That class A narcissist. It's all about me and what people see of me and how great I am. But here's the thing. Someone who has a truly gospel identity, it's not about them, is it? Who is it about? It's about Christ. It's all about Jesus. And that's what you see from Philip. That's what you see from many of the other apostles and disciples that as they're going around, it's not about, hey, Let's make me great. Let me have a great name. I want everyone to, to see how great I am. It's not about how great Chris Thorne is. It's about how great who is Jesus Christ. And that's how it should be. And that's what you see from Philip. Now, Simon's miracles all pointed to himself. But there was something fundamentally different about what Philip did. Because when Philip came, he was performing miracles. He was you know, um, as it says back in number, uh, verse number six, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles, unclean spirits. He had cast out unclean spirits. Now, this was genuine. Crying with a loud voice came out with many that were possessed with him, and many were taken with the palsies and, and that were lame were healed. So God had given him this great power to perform miracles, and it was genuine. You could tell that there was a difference between, you know, a sleight of hand trick and something that is actually genuine. And then in verse number 13 or verse number 12, we see that many of those Samarians or Samaritans believed what Philip preached because they saw the authenticity of it. And even as verse 13 says, it says what? Then Simon himself believed also. Now, I want you to understand that. Again, you can look at this text from a number of different ways, and we'll, we'll study a little bit later as we get to the later passages and later verses. But I think we, it's a very important to take the Scripture for what it says. Simon himself believed also, 
And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So I think Simon saw, and he wanted what he was seeing. So he followed Philip. He was baptized. You know, I think there's a great key here. And this is important. I think it's in your notes. I think Simon's faith was misguided. I think Simon's faith was misguided. And I want you to understand this, because this is very important with this message this morning in the EQ time. Before Christ, if Simon truly got saved, before Christ, what was Simon? What was Simon? What was Simon? A sorcerer, yes. So he was steeped into paganism, right? Now, how many have ever met, met someone that got saved and, I mean, their life changed? I mean, anybody? Anybody met someone that got saved, their life changed? All of us have probably, if you've been around Christians, you met people that got saved, their life changed. But a lot of times, does it happen immediately overnight? No. Why, why is that, Brother Mike? Why does it necessarily just happen overnight? Um, because it's a work that's got to be done within us. <clears throat> it's a work that's... Yeah. And again, <clears throat> you think about, you get saved, and, and it's a very important first step. You get saved, but do you understand everything about the Bible? No, you don't. You see, the Christian life is a journey, is it not? It takes time to grow. How many have felt like you've grown in your faith over the past couple of years? I think many of us have. You're not that same person that used to be, even though you might have been saved for a number of years, you've been growing, and that's an important thing. Some of the things that maybe you're learning even in this series are things that you've never heard or never been taught. Now, we need to understand that. Simon was steeped in a pagan identity. And once you get saved, it doesn't automatically take away the pre-constructed self that you have made. And I'm talking about who you have created yourself to be. Now, the gospel does overcome, but sometimes it takes years to break apart what you have built up, does it not? Now, think about that. Sometimes it takes years, maybe decades, to break apart what you have built up. Now, it's different when a kid gets saved at a young age. They don't have this large pre-constructed identity, do they? No. But think of someone that has been steeped in paganism or, you know, uh, 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 an alcoholic or, you know, been on drugs for their whole life and all of a sudden they get saved. Now, some have just completely changed and never touched that stuff. But it takes a long time for people like that, right? Because it's part of them. It's hard to just remove all of that. And really what you think about in the Christian life, there's a constant warfare, is there not? There's a constant wrestling match between who we were versus who we are. How many have ever struggled with that? Anybody? Struggle with who you were versus who you are now. Now, let's ask this question quickly. Why do people struggle with that? Why do people struggle with who they were versus who they are now? It's easier to go back. It's comfort. What else? Brother Allen? Yeah, you still have that same sinful nature. Yes. What else? Anybody else? Maybe just one more. David, and then. Yeah, kind of straddling the fence. Don't want to lose any of that they had versus what they have now. Tasha. That's how they've always identified themselves. And again, we'll we'll take more in EQ time. But there is a constant struggle, right? There is a constant warfare, a constant battle, and again. How many in here have struggled with living out your Christian life the way and manner in which you should live it? Anybody? My both hands are raised. I struggle with that on a daily basis of living out the Christian life in the way in which I should live it. And what we're going to see about Simon is this. 
He immediately saw Jesus in the Christian life as really a way to better his previous life. It was a way to find a better version of his old self instead of finding new life and a new identity. Again, I, I said this earlier, but the Christian life, is the Christian life about adding Jesus to the life you're already living? No, it's about allowing Jesus to take over, right? To reign supreme, to say, here is who you are. This is who you are. That's not who you are anymore. But a lot of times it's like, all right, come on, Jesus, keep following me. Did Jesus ever ask us to, or, or, or are we supposed to be having Jesus follow us? Or are we supposed to be following him? We're supposed to be following him, right? But that's what happens a lot. Hey, Jesus, follow me and, you know, you know do, your, do your works and do your wonders and, you know, help my life when I mess up, when I keep doing the life that I'm living, that I was already living before. Again, I think I read this last week, but if you're 99% committed to Jesus, you're still 100% in control. Because ultimately, you're deciding which 99% he gets to oversee. Now, get this down. Jesus, he wants to reconstruct your life from the ground up. Jesus wants to reconstruct your life from the ground up. The Christian life is about tearing down in order to build up. It's tearing down the pre-constructed life in order for Jesus to build you up and give you new life that he wants you to have. And this passage, it's the gospel versus magic, but really it's the gospel versus a pre-constructed self. Let's continue on, verses 14 through 17. The second thing we see is this. The apostles then were sent to validate the gospel. Remember, where were the apostles at this time? Anybody? It's back in verse number one. What? Someone said, where were the apostles at this time? Jerusalem, yes. They hadn't left Jerusalem yet, but now the gospel is going into Samaria, and now they are coming. Verse number 14, the Bible says, Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, this is important because, again, the gospel outside of Jesus going there and at the, the woman at, uh, at the well hasn't really reached there. And since Jesus has left, the gospel has only stayed in Jerusalem. For Jews, now something significant is about to happen and, and is happening here. So they sent, <clears throat> and they had received the word, and they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were calmed down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now this is very important. I'll, I'll explain it in just a second. For as of yet, he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, historically, these verses, again, have been very difficult for many to understand. Because when the Samaritans were saved and baptized, they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit until the apostles laid their hands on them. Now, this event, we need to understand this event is very unique in its place in history. And here's a quick summation of why the Spirit was withheld. It was unique in the thing that they were being saved and then receiving the Holy Ghost. Because going forward, all you see is that individuals, once they were saved, they also received the Holy Ghost, right? Now, most commentaries believe this to be true. This, in a sense, was God's stamp of approval. He was creating unity in the gospel. This laying on the hands to receive the Holy Ghost was a sign to both Jew and Samaritan. And the reason the Spirit was withheld until the gospel got, or until the apostles got there was because they were sent to verify or validate the gospel work, to make sure that it was actually legitimate. 
And this is the first time that the gospel has moved beyond Jerusalem. So again, this is not something that has to continue today. And there are a lot of people that take these verses completely out of context. Well, there must be a laying on the hands for you to receive the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. This was a unique event because the gospel hadn't reached beyond Jerusalem up until this time. And this is, this is important. I don't, it's not in your notes, but this description given in Acts 8 is not a prescription going forward for the church. There is no one today that can touch you other than the Holy Spirit, other than Jesus Christ himself, and give you the Holy Spirit, right? There is no one. Now, there are some that say, well, the pastor, the preacher, this apostle has to touch you, has to lay hands on you. Now, laying hands is a biblical thing, but that's a different message entirely. There is no one that touches you, and then you receive the Holy Spirit because of them. Understand? No one. This is just a unique event. And this was done only to unite believers in Samaria with those in Jerusalem because the Jews are struggling with this idea. Here's what they're struggling with. A Samaritan cannot be saved. So let's apply it today. There are groups of people that we struggle with. Let's, let's put it out there. I think many of us understand this group. Muslims, right? There is no way a Muslim can be saved. Because of what they have done to us, what they have done to Americans, there is no way they can be saved. That's how the Jews felt. There is no way these half-breeds, these hybrids, can truly be saved. But when the apostles came and the laying on the hands, it was saying, hey, yes, they can be saved. Because all can be saved if they are willing and if they surrender themselves to Jesus Christ. And look, we don't fully understand this sometimes, but we have to put it in our perspective. Let's continue on in the narrative. The third thing we see is this, a confrontation with identity. And here's where this identity struggle happens and continues. Verse number 18. And when Simon saw that, now verse number 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So Simon sees this amazing thing. Now, what was Simon before he believed? He was a sorcerer, right? He tricked people with magic and sleight of hand and different things like that. So when Simon saw that through the laying on the hands of the apostles, the Holy Ghost was given them, he offered them money. He's like, hey, I want that. How, how, how much do you want? How much do you want for me to get that, for me to get this gift to be able to do that? Now that's important. Verse number 19, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, was that what it was all about? No, it wasn't. But Simon saw it, man, that's genuine. Everything I've been doing, it's not genuine. It's fake. It's fraud. It's, it's phony. But that is genuine. This is real Christianity versus counterfeit Christianity. He can tell the difference between what is genuine power versus what is counterfeit power. And he thought, man, if I could get this power and I can mix that power with my power, and I could elevate myself even more. If I can get what they have and that power, man, my name is going to be even greater. It's going to reach beyond Samaria. You understanding now? So let's continue on. Verse number 20. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Hey, your money is worthless. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people, even in churches today, that are trying to use their money for their own personal gain. I've met individuals like that. It was coming up on our five-year anniversary at the church, and I've met individuals like that, not just in my time here, but in my time in ministry that, you know, are trying to throw money around so that people see how great they are and just advance their own little kingdom. But is that what it's about? No. God is giving you the resources to advance his kingdom. 
And I've seen people really misguided. He's just trying to add it to his arsenal. But I think the bigger point here is it's not necessarily whether Simon was truly saved or not. You know, we can debate that all day. I think the bigger point is where I've seen many people over the years, a misguided approach to Christianity. You see, Simon has a misguided identity. It's clear he hasn't gone through the Connect class yet. I mean, obviously. He doesn't understand what he's supposed to do as a Christian. I mean, because really, you lead someone to Christ that has have a pre-constructed self. Can you, if you just leave them to their own senses? Now, yes, God can do something. The Holy Spirit can work. But are they going to get to where they need to get if you're not helping them? No, they're not. And again, how many have met people like that that probably did get saved, but they didn't really understand what they were supposed to do and kind of left to their own? And that's kind of what, what was going on here with Simon. And I think the bigger issue, again, is not his salvation. I think it's a lack of understanding. The struggle for identity has begun. The old Simon is struggling with the new Simon. Here's the truth. Get this. Simon has missed out on God's grace and what God's grace is all about. Let's continue reading. He's trying to purchase it with his money. And, and Peter, man, I love what Peter does. He just flat out calls him out. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Hey, you wicked moron. It's <laughs> basically what he's saying, all right? I'm interpreting the Greek. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So why don't you pray? Why don't you ask God to forgive you? And he, he will. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. So there's a struggle here. <laughs> there's a struggle here. Simon is, he wants this because it's going to help him gain more power. And, and again, this is where people can take this verse and this passage saying, well, he wasn't truly saved because Peter is calling him out. And he's saying, well, you're not really saved. And you can see that. You can see the legitimacy of that. I can see both sides. But again, I want to take what scripture says in verse 13, where it says he did believe. And again, even when people come to me, all I can do is take them at their word. I can't judge the heart. I can't. Only God can all I can see is what someone says to me. So Simon, the Bible says, Luke says that he believed and he was baptized. In verse 24, then answered Simon, and again, this is where people mess up too. That how many have ever, how many have ever done this? Have you ever gotten a text from someone and you read it a certain way that it wasn't the way that it was intended to read? Anybody? All right. Anybody happen this week? <laughs> anybody want to share with us? No, don't, please. Uh, you know, it happens. All right, let's ask this question. Why, why does that happen? Why does that happen? You, you get a text from someone and you read it, you interpret it a way that it wasn't intended to be. Michael? Can't hear how they're talking. What else? Someone? You assume the worst. Yeah, I think we all do that. Can't see their body language. Again, now if someone is putting all caps, it's easy. They're yelling at you, right? <laughs> Unless they just don't know what they're doing and what they're talking about. I've had older people that all they did was all caps because I think they couldn't see. So I was like, hey, stop yelling at me. I'm just trying to help you. But they weren't really yelling at me. But anyway, why else? Why do we kind of misread a text? Because sometimes your day is bad and you're already Yeah, so obviously they're mad at me too, right? Obviously. And they're just going off. Yeah, might as well. So uh, verse 24, then answered Simon. So some people are like, oh, he's obviously, you know, being all snarky here. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Again, it's easy to see him as being cynical, but it's also easy to see him as being genuine, right? 
So again, it's very, very important that we don't try to read too much into the text. I think if Luke wanted us to understand some things, he would be more specific. And here's the thing. Too often, Christians find themselves defaulting back to a weaker identity, their older identity. And Simon had a very high view of himself. But the reality is he had a very low view of God. He didn't understand the glory of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know that that nothing that God has is for sale, is it? What God has is not for sale. You can't buy what God has. He just wants to give it to you. So Simon has really exposed himself on the spot, and Peter pounces. Peter flat out calls him out, and I believe Simon is completely out of line in his understanding. You see, there are Christians today who have missed the greater picture. They have fallen to a false doctrine. When this happens, what needs to happen? They need to be rebuked, don't they? If a, if a Christian, if a believer has fallen prey to a false doctrine, they need to be rebuked, right? Because they don't understand. And it's very important that as Christians, we understand what the Bible says. We understand what Scripture says. And Peter knew Simon was in extreme danger because his heart was corrupt before God. And again, there are a lot of Christians that have a corrupt heart before God. It's all about advancing their own little kingdom. I like what Tony Evans says about this passage. He says, God is not a slot machine to be used to fulfill our carnal desires. That's true. God is not a slot machine to be used to fulfill our own carnal desires. You see, Simon thought he could manipulate, manipulate, control, and pay off God. But can you? Can anyone? No. And here's the application. All of us, Brother Allen kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but all of us have sinful realities that reside in us even after salvation. But the question is, do you have the courage to allow the Spirit to call you out and convict you of your sinful tendencies and misguided approach to Christianity? You know, it seems that Simon is responding with sincerity. As it says in verse 24, then answered Simon and said, pray you to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Hey, I don't want that to happen. Now, regardless what you believe on this text, <clears throat> here's two important lessons, and I want to close here in just a few minutes with this. And again, I, I encourage you to stay around for EQ because we're going to dive a little bit more into this and, and, and into identity as well. But here's, <clears throat> here's the two important lessons we see. First of all, this, the Holy Spirit isn't for sale. And second, we should marvel at God's grace. See, Simon is completely misguided in his approach and understanding. And I think there are many times in our life where we are misguided. And you think about Thanksgiving. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. There are many people that have a misguided approach to Thanksgiving. They can think Thanksgiving is all about the great food, all about the great deals. Now, is that true? Yes. But is it all the picture of Thanksgiving? No, it's incomplete. Same thing with Christmas. It's all about the presents. But is that the whole picture of Christmas? No. No. It's about Jesus. And this is where we err at times. We have a misguided view, an incomplete view of God. Again, Simon had been rooted deeply in paganism. He's having a major identity crisis and struggle. And what he has missed is what many of us have missed. You see, a gospel identity helps you fill in the holes that have been skipped over in your life. And the thing that I see here is this, and I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in other lives, God loves you too much to allow you to stay where you are. Aren't you thankful for that? He doesn't want you to be that, 
that man behind the curtain anymore. You think about Oz, the great and powerful Oz, who was, who was stuck behind the curtain and portrayed himself to be something that he was not. Look, the Christian life is not about you. It's about the life that God has for you. But listen to me. We have to be willing to allow God to tear down the curtain, to rip off our mask, tear down our pre-constructed self, to give us not a better version of the self that we were living, but the best version that we've never even seen. Peter rebuked Simon, but he didn't end it there. He offered him a chance to repent, to be forgiven. And really, when you think about that, that is grace on full display. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel redeems you of who you were and helps you lead or helps lead you into who you're supposed to be. Look, God wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem that little man inside of you, that man behind the curtain, so to speak. He wants to free you from that individual. But here's where many Christians get misguided. Listen to me, I'm almost done. When God comes in, you must allow him to lead you in the path that he desires. You have to relinquish your agendas, your dreams, and give them over to him. And there are many today, whether here or even watching online, that need to allow God to redeem you. Maybe you're not saved, and maybe it's time that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That say, I'm not saved. I've been misguided in everything that I thought I was saved, but in reality, I'm not. I've never asked Jesus to save me. I've only used him as a, as a tool, as a, as a source. And I think there are many Christian or many so-called people in churches that aren't truly saved because they've never really asked Jesus to forgive them. They just wanted him to come along and make their life better. And if that's you, it's time to repent. It's time to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come in your heart and save you. And if you're a Christian today and you have been using Jesus and God as your little genie, then you're misguided too. Because he's not there to fulfill all your whims. He's not there to, to answer every request that you have. Well, he's not answering my request, so obviously he doesn't care about me. You have a misguided approach. You have a misguided view of who Jesus is. And maybe it's time today that your curtain be ripped back so that you can be redeemed and forgiven. And here's the core truth that we close with. The gospel frees us from our own misguided identity. A truly gospel identity frees us from our own misguided identity. Every head bowed, every eye closed.